live on tape from KGCR Studios in sunny Southern California. This is Glitch City Radio. Welcome, everybody, to episode five of Glitch City Radio, the podcast magazine for Glitch City, an indie games and digital arts collective based in Culver City, California. I'm your host, Jamie Jo Perano, and next to me is Levi Rohr. Hello, I'm your co-host for this episode. Hi, Levi. Good to be here. There's another person in the room, our favorite host of all. Introduce yourself. Oh, it's Julian Cantor. Hey, everyone. Hey, welcome back, Julian. You sound surprised Thanks. that you're the favorite. Well, you know, um, we'll probably cut that part out anyway, but uh, <laughs> if I just have to guess. But. Well, that's so, what so, the poll so, so said. So, Julian, it's my understanding that uh, this time around, you're hosting the panel. I am. That's that's correct. Last time it was your turn, last episode, our January episode. I'm relieved to hear that you're taking over my previous duties. Well, it's just for one episode. So next month, I mean, our listeners can probably figure out what's going to happen there, but uh, we'll t- keep that for as a tease. It's a game of musical chairs, the music being podcast hosts. But yes, this week, uh, or this month rather, this is not a weekly podcast. This month, be, I will be re... Uh, <laughs> Definitely kind of cut that part out, but I will be leading a panel discussion on, fittingly enough, censorship. Ooh, I've uh, often felt censored by our sound engineer and editor. Uh, who, who, what's the name of that guy? A, uh, a one Julie? of our interns. Oh, oh, it's one of the interns. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's definitely not going to make. The <laughs> yeah, no, none of this so. is making the cut. Our uh, panel guests this episode, Laura Miche is going to be on as well as last month's interview subject, Adriel Wallach. Pretty uh, entertaining talk about censorship, as you can imagine. And uh, as per every episode, we're going to be doing an interview. Adriel will be interviewing Atlee Lockridge, one of the Glitch City Radio Classic panelists, now an interview guest. It's a very interesting interview. Atlee gets into her games as well as some other topics. Like being a femme engineer. Atlee, very forthright with uh, her life story. No self-censorship there. The contrast to our theme. We just want to be honest with our audience. I think I might actually listen to this episode. For the first time. For the first time. I've never heard the show, so. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, you know, not the most favorable review, but we'll we'll cut all that out. We'll censor all that out. Uh, (laughs) This is a a really special episode. I've I've heard good things about this show. That's so much exciting stuff to look forward to. Coming up next after this commercial break. Who are you? Brendan Chung. I run a small company called Blendo Games. What is your favorite cheap meal? I have a big container. I put good ingredients in it and I just heat it. What kind of ingredients are we talking about? I like yams, bell peppers, whatever I do. I put in sun-dried tomatoes because those are delicious. Who are you? Adriel Wallach, independent game developer and organizer of Train Jam. What is your favorite cheap meal? It's like a good bowl of pasta. Pasta, tomatoes, olive oil, butter, that crappy powdered parmesan. Yeah, the powdered parmesan. That stuff is so cheap and kind of tastes gross, but it's such a comfort to me. Who are you? Tom Aspel. I am developing Wobble Dogs, a weird pet simulation game. What is your favorite cheap meal? Oatmeal mixed with brown sugar and peanut butter. I love oatmeal with brown sugar in it, but I've never put peanut butter on it. It's incredibly cheap. It costs like 30 cents to put together. I highly recommend it. Who 
are you? My name's Jamie. I'm a comics artist and animator. What is your favorite cheap meal? Heads up. I'm kind of a foodie. Lately, I've really been into sorizo and potatoes. Sorizo is amazing. Cheap, vegan, and flavorful. Magical combination. Sorizo is also superior to chorizo because it is easier to clean off the pan. This episode is brought to you by Divina in honor of the struggle for self and love. Use VR to analyze emotional systems within the context of Davina's relationship with their mother. The player accompanies Davina in a heightened psychological moment of their life. By orienting lenses, decide whether it's the right time to reach out. Divina by Ali Lockridge is available now at atl3y.itch.io. And we're back with our uh, illustrious panel here. To my left, Adriel Wallach. Hi. Adriel, I heard you on the last episode. Fantastic performance there in your interview. Thank you. And you're going to be conducting an interview later in this show. Any uh, hint as to who you're going to be interviewing? Atley. That's not a hint. That's just an answer. Wow, yeah. Just cut right to the chase. Cut right cool. in there. I don't want to dance around. Well, our audience probably already knows that from the you know title and everything. I'll probably edit all this stuff out. But anyway, and across from me, we have Laura Miche. Yeah, that's How's it going, me. Laura? I'm doing very good. I'm alive. That's saying something. Yeah. Um, Laura, uh, familiar to our audience as the host of Live with Laura. The only segment on this podcast. Yeah, um, <laughs> we'll have to work on that, but yes. Everyone uh, should make a segment for this podcast. You get your own theme music and everything. It's, it's amazing to have theme music. I revel in it. Sometimes I think about the fact that you had to make theme music for me. It makes me feel great. You should make theme music for everyone. Just every hey. single person who comes on this gets a new theme. Adriel, if you want to host your own segment like Laura does, I will make you a theme song. And if you don't have any segment ideas, I have a bunch. So Challenge accepted. I just want a theme song. That's all. I'm not sure how to come up with a transition into uh, this topic that we're going to get into here, but censorship. Censorship. Censorship, the very uh, hard-edged theme of today's show. Yeah. Have either of you had any like, experience with censorship? I've literally never been censored, ever. I guess, is, is it like capital C censorship? By the government? Like government censorship or like little c censorship, like don't yeah. say that word. Well, yeah, those, are, those are very different things. Right. Well, I've never been censored by the government for sure. I mean, me neither. I've, I don't think I, but I've been to China where you're behind the firewall. So hmm. you... I've been to China too. Yeah. So there you go. You've dealt with censorship in a form. But I left really fast and it was for business and I had access to a illegal VPN for part of the time. Yeah. I think so. everybody has had an illegal VPN that yeah. goes there just load up a vpn and then you can access google again i love to google for things like sandwich recipes or <laughs> the definition of a greek word things that i wouldn't be able to do if i didn't have illegal vpns in right. china so you do have some experience with subverting a government censor which is pretty impressive oh, yeah. both I love of you subverting a government i used the vpn to watch netflix when i couldn't sleep Nice. Nice. I, I couldn't have expected better answers than that question. <laughs> yeah, but like I'm not a creator who's created I see. works that have been well, censored. No, I've, I played a game of yours before. Yeah. Well, thank you. It was an interactive <laughs> fiction. Like all of them. Yeah. It's good. The uh, magic pyromancer. Wait, which one? There's like a aristocratic oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. family. You, yeah, you played Swan Hill, my only successful twine game. I don't know if I would call them pyromancers, but they do do fire magic. Okay, excuse me. Excuse isn't me. isn't pyromancy the same as fire magic? I think you can create a fantasy setting where people use fire magic, but 
pyromancy is not a word in that setting or not a concept in that setting. The same way we can talk about fire, but when we talk about fire, it's not called pyrolinguistics. It you should know? be. I mean, I would love it. <laughs> We don't have a concept of the discussion of fire being a discipline in the same way that pyromancy suggests that fire magic is a discipline in a fantasy setting. That's so much more thought about those words than I think I've ever thought about those words. <laughs> you could say you're a pyrolinguist, really. Yeah, I'm going to put that on my business card. That should be at the top of your business card because it makes you sound really cool. Getting back to censorship, you know, the ever-flowing fountain of uh, you know, good discussion here. Beyond just the actual definition of censorship, which is, as we discussed, the government imposing their will upon you. I guess the medium C censorship would be a platform limiting speech in a way that rankled its users. I know that uh, there's some distribution platforms for games out there that limit the types of games that can go on them. Such as Steam, for yeah, example. Oh yeah, such as Steam. Where does the line fall for curation versus censorship? I think it's fine for a platform to not allow things to be published on it. I think the problem is that Steam is so big that this yeah. dominates what people are able to do and it causes real financial harm when they do this. Whereas if there was like more platforms, well, wait, aren't there more platforms? There are. Yeah, itch.io, best publishing platform out there. So we have those forms of censorship. You both have also worked jobs in addition to your you know, independent works. Did you ever feel like you couldn't express yourself in that job and is that an appeal of being indie that you don't have those restrictions i feel like there's different type of restrictions of what you can and can't do working at a quote-unquote real job versus working as an indie because when you're working at a job things that you do are going to reflect on your job and so that's why we have stories of people who say something and then you know it blows up on twitter and then they get fired because their employer goes oh you are now the type of person that we don't want to have at your job and so there's a sort of like self-censorship that has to happen there and then you know as an indie you are your own brand there's topics people don't want to talk about because it'll reflect poorly on them I do know that some people feel bad after the years of stress of trying to maintain the correct social media personality for their business or whatever. I think Twitter's bad and I probably shouldn't even use it. Twitter's a toxic system that allows you to say something and then have no control over the way that it is dispersed or what audiences it finds. You know what? I've got an unpopular opinion. Someone should hack Twitter and shut it down. Whoa, callback call to back. previous episode. Something left on the cutting room floor. This maybe get. I don't know. We'll, we'll <laughs> anyway, see, but, okay. uh, there's plenty of ways that I can say the things that I want. And if I wanted to say those things in a more eloquent way, I could probably write a blog post about them. And that would probably be better for everyone. Y you mentioned the blog post and games as another avenue for your expression. And I was wondering whether another facet of, of censorship could be thought of as just like a different filter that you're putting on your voice. Do you find that you kind of are censoring certain thoughts in your games that you're putting out on Twitter or that you're putting different kinds of thoughts into your games? There's a, a lot of stuff in Swan Hill, the game you mentioned, that is stuff that I feel strongly about, but I don't really discuss on Twitter or discuss much anymore at all because I feel like I just got all my opinions out on that topic when I made that game. The, the cool thing about creating an art project that has like a ship date is that you have to tackle something that you believe and you have to fully articulate something and then be done with that particular articulation of it. So it's definitely true that I say different things in my games than I say when I tweet. I don't have anything that I've made in a game where I've thought like, ooh, I need to change what I'm saying. When I make stuff, it's just about how I'm feeling about something, but never like a very controversial topic or anything. I think more so than anything when I'm on Twitter or other social medias, and especially because I have like a huge following on Twitter, but like a pretty decent... Right. To me, it's huge. I mean, different, different <laughs> world, but yeah. yeah. But it, it's 
large enough that I think about what I'm going to say before I say it most times, whether what I have to say is going to hurt or harm anybody or whether it can help making sure that I'm saying words that aren't unintentionally offensive and keeping mindful of all that. I mean, even I feel a lot of that in terms of maybe I shouldn't be putting this out there, mostly just because I have very negative things always I'm putting on. I was like, oh, yeah, tone it down a little bit. It's interesting because I think with games or a longer form medium where you can really dive into an issue, you have this thing that you have to actually think through and put a lot of work into before you're releasing it. In previous eras, the barrier to releasing some thoughts was higher always. Oh, yeah. Even writing a letter to the editor, right? Writing a letter to the editor is hard. It takes a lot of energy. Yeah, one thing I started doing a couple months ago, because I use TweetDeck for everything, there's a setting where you have to like check a checkbox that says that you're ready to tweet something before the tweet button goes active. And just even adding that checkbox has made me go, eh, maybe I don't need to tweet this thing. Or let me read this again before I check that box. Just that little extra barrier to entry of saying whatever's on my mind. I guess a final question I had would be, do you feel any market type pressure in terms of what people are looking for, what could be successful, where you need to restrain what you're doing because you want it to find an audience? I have put lots and lots of hours into games that I never shipped or finished because I thought that I didn't quite hit the nail on the head and that the thing I was saying would receive criticism because it wasn't very good, you know? So I didn't cancel those things because I thought, oh, people won't like this. I canceled it because I thought people won't like this because it sucks and it's bad thinking, will the people that I admire enjoy this? You know, like, will my friends whose feedback I treasure and whose company I enjoy look at this and say, you did a good job, Laura? Or will they look at this and be like, what are you doing? I do think, quote unquote, societal pressure can be good if the society of people you're considering stand to enjoy the thing or stand to be persuaded even by the thing you're trying to make. Pick your society well, I guess, and then submit to their pressure completely. (laughs) For me, the majority of my games projects that I've released in the last four or five years since Game A Week have all been contract stuff. So it's been stuff that I haven't been the main arbiter of what goes in it. I think the only thing that I've really ever dealt with was there's every now and again where I want to be super aggressive about some sort of position on something. And I just don't, especially on like social media and stuff like that, because I deal with an actual big corporation sometimes with Train Jam, you know, dealing with Amtrak and then doing a lot of stuff with diversity initiatives. And I don't want to put anybody in a weird position where it might hinder anything that has to do with the thing I've created with Train Jam. It's never like anything terrible, but it's just always the extra step of like, ooh, if I say this, will it damage something with a sponsor or with somebody that I want to talk to in some government somewhere, etc. At the end of the day, everything that you're doing is part of your work. You're ultimately interacting with other people. So you always have to be aware of how other people are going to react, regardless of how much stock you're going to put into that. It's always part of what you're working on. And I don't think self-censorship is a bad thing at all. Being conscious of what you say and what you put out in the world is a very admirable quality. And there's all those people out there who get really up in arms. You know, oh, I can't say anything anymore. And I just want to say everything that's on my mind. I tell it like it's real. And it's like, no, you're just being an asshole. Find somebody IRL to rant. Yeah, you don't have to do that for every to see like you're screaming on a street corner okay well don't listen to my previous podcast we block <laughs> that's my only advice to you a lot of things that probably no one cares to listen to but won't it hurt your previous employers to oh yeah we can't talk about them okay. I actually i shouldn't even brought that up i'm sorry I okay apologize. anyway block. well thank you so much both of you for coming for this uh discussion on censorship very wide-ranging if, if I need to censor anything from the discussion, I'm more than happy to do it in the cutting room floor. So You should have picked some political prisoners to talk to instead. <laughs> we're not. Just make this entire episode one censorship beep, and that's it. Okay. I think that might be the, the key to expanding our listener base. People love long beeps, right? 
I think that's a great idea. I will definitely raise that to the host group here we have. But thank you both for coming. It's been great. Adriel, next up, you're going to be conducting an interview. I sure am. So stick around. We'll get right to your discussion with Atlee Lockridge. Adriel and I am here with Atlee doing an interview. Hello. Hi. Why don't you tell us who you are and what you do? I'm Atlee Lockridge. I am 34 <laughs> years old, cisgender woman. I um, have been involved in creative stuff for most of my life, but most recently fell in love with programming. I'm enjoying the fact that we have two women-identified programmers interviewing right now. Yeah, I just actually realized yeah. that. I didn't really quite get that until you did the introduction. I'm like, oh yeah, this is fun and good and nice. Kind of unique, right? I've been trying to play it cool around you, actually, <laughs> at Glitch. Usually when I see other women-identifying programmers, I gawk. <laughs> and I was like, just just be cool. <laughs> As it's been getting better and better over the years, there's still that, oh gosh, like there's another one, yay. Yeah, exactly. There's still not a ton of us. So on the last episode, Brendan interviewed me and he started out with a question that I really liked and now I want to turn this into a thing. Mm. What did you have for breakfast? Waffles. What kind of waffles? Uh, vegan waffles. I'm a big Leslie Nope fan, so I've been eating waffles more regularly to sort of commune with her fictional spirit. What is it about Leslie Nope that really gets you? So she is a quote unquote good doer, but experiences both sides of that coin where people kind of hate her for it. And I really identify with that feeling of trying to be pursuing this moving target of ever better ethical conduct for yourself, but then the ruffling the feathers of people around you, feeling like you're sort of placing this pressure on people or just opening up stuff that people don't necessarily want to talk about. All of my work is intense, even though I don't mean it to be at all. It's kind of like a curse in some ways. It's odd to try to make something beautiful and have people find it scary often. I don't know. So I think with Leslie Nope, she has a lot of tactics that she, she uses humor and she's just very, to a fault, just sort of go get her, like go get it at that, just break down the problem. And it's always like the wrong prop. But then she says sorry in the end. I admire how she fails in public all the time. It's Parks and Rec, right? Yeah. That's one of those shows that I've been told many times to watch and I really want to and I just sort of haven't gotten around to it. I think you may have finally tipped me over into the okay fine I'll watch this show category. delve into pretty serious topics and very interesting like internal places what's something that you've worked on over the last few years that you're most proud of existing 
I've been sort of on a journey towards being more honest in my works and, and more present. Divino, I did a couple years ago, and it was starring a trans woman who was struggling with trying to call her mother. And it was a story that was very close to my heart, but also was not a character who I specifically identified with, but one who I felt for. And I had a lot of conflict questioning if I was doing something ethically right or wrong in having a character who was not me. But I had turned that question over in my mind because I was kind of like, well, most of the people in the games industry are men and if they just continue to put male characters at the center then that's what we'll see and like you want to have more fluidity and ability to collaborate with different characters who are not you obviously <laughs> so that was Davina and I, I uh, did learn a lot on that project then Palimpsest focused on femme non-binary people of color engineering and it's a uh, curriculum and a VR game that is basically intended to signal belonging Belonging to femme, non-binary, female, people of color in high school. My partner, Allison Comrie, she's the creative director on this project. I'm the technical director. Uh, went to a South Central High School and spent four months doing an after-school program there and working with 16 students to develop the game. In their engineering practice, they then took our source code and remixed it to sort of make their own work. And that was the idea of Palimpsest, which is a, a tablet which has been a overwritten, etched out over time, and you can see these layers of what had been written prior. You talked about this a little bit. I've seen you working at Glitch, and I've seen some of the stuff on Show and Tell and everything. You do a lot of VR, AR space stuff. What is it about AR and VR that really draws you to it right now? I actually experienced VR before I had hardcore committed to learning to engineer. I was at Ken Perlin's lab in New York, Perlin of Perlin Noise, who created that function. He got an Academy Award for graphics. And we were using the Gear VR with phones and a motion capture system and self-made trackers 3D printed with retroreflective markers. And I just fell in love with it. Prior, I had done theater, and I think something about the spatiality just really called to me. I had spent so much time in my life being an actor on stage that I was like, oh, the player is the actor. They're like leading in this play that they sort of have a premonition for how it's going to go. And that's when I really doubled down on learning to program was by Ken's encouragement. Recently, I've been experimenting more with PC work. I do want to reach more people and have a smaller development cycle to just focus on design. I've been meeting with people who make games that I admire and playing games that I admire and sketching things out on paper on napkins, similarly to this. <laughs> just thinking about agency and story, letting my mind sort of dream. I feel like once I have a dream about something, then I'm probably going to make it. Like a literal dream? Like you've, you've dreamt yeah. it while you were sleeping? Yeah. Yeah, I'll wake up and kind of start there. At some point, there will be like a very demanding napkin that I've drawn at a, <laughs> at a restaurant or something. And I realize that I'll be giving another year of my life to something that nobody will see. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I'm picturing your place to just have a ton of napkins with a bunch of different writing all over them, like pinned up to the walls with like the strings between them as well. And you wake up from a nap and you're like, oh gosh. And then you put up another napkin. You have another <laughs> string that you connect to everything. I wish that I put them on the wall. I have nothing on the walls. Start I have hanging almost, napkins up. No, I should. I should. I just find them everywhere. I find them in my coats. I lose them. And <laughs> I once had somebody ask me how I come up with ideas for games. And it was such a simple question, but it was something I just couldn't answer. Because it's stuff like that where it's like, oh, well, I was just out for a walk and I wasn't really thinking about anything. And then I thought about a bird and then it made me think of this and it made me think of that. And that's an idea. Right. It's very similar to that of just like, oh, I, I have a dream about this and now it's on a napkin and now I have to make it. Right. Is there anywhere else you normally get like inspiration from or is it just that? My problem would be too much inspiration, <laughs> I think. I'm overwhelmed, really, with life in general, and I have too much that I want to say. I'm constantly, in terms of scope, either underballing it or like hype overballing, <laughs> whatever the way to say that is. My process in the last couple of years has really just been about trying to shake myself up and try to come at works from a number of different directions and uh, not getting stuck. Sometimes I will stay up late at night and feverish write out a script or start you know coding a prototype but usually that work doesn't stick for me the feverish very passionate ideas are just quite difficult to design so I've been trying to challenge myself to let myself play with design ideas that I'm not that invested in so I can just think more about form without the weight of trying to express something sort of like a flash in the pan versus something that you're just simmering around for a while that comes out super delicious at the end of if you can only have the patience for it. Right. My mantra lately has been sort of, okay, I own the projects. The projects don't own me. I can disengage. I can decide that I've made a choice that I don't agree with. I think the interesting thing about being an aspiring creator is that everybody is an inspiring creator. Anyone who creates, the approval that they're seeking is in their own heart and how they see themselves in their next step in terms of their growth or their journey in life. I think your approach of the projects don't own me, I own the projects is a really good mantra to have in place because we come into this industry or any industry or any asset of life where you look at it and you go, oh, everybody else has it all figured out and I'm the one who doesn't have it figured out and thrash around and so many of us get lost in that. You know, it's the whole sunk time cost fallacy of, oh, well, you know, I've put so much effort into this, so I have to keep seeing it going, even though it's bad for me or it's not good or anything. I actually was hospitalized at one point for extreme depression. And what they said was that I was a workaholic and that I had come to sort of define my life by the successes that people could see on paper. I only thought that I was really worthwhile for what I could produce. I had 
flipped in my head this idea that I come first and then the projects come out of me. So if I am destroyed by the projects, there won't be projects after that. And one thing that I think about often when I see new creators who are latching on to something that they are birthing out it's important to support people at whatever point they are in their in their cycle of birthing a project, but also to remind them that there will be other works and they will be better. Your work doesn't define you. And I think we, especially as independent creators, there's such that pressure to be like passionate and it's your whole life and you dedicate your whole self to it and you destroy yourself for a project. And that's something that I know a lot of people have been pushing back against the last couple of years. And I, I'm happy to see that. Like even even just little things, like I see you doing like little yoga stretches every now and again at your desk. True. And I always look over, I'm like, oh, that looks so relaxing. I like seeing other people doing the tiny little things during their day to get out of their head just for a second. I've been trying really hard to have like a very strict like morning routine that has nothing to do with work and I I was doing really good for a while and then the last like week or so I just fell off the wagon with it and I can feel it in everything and that like routine and that self-care is so important to being the creative hacky person. It's a whole process, and I think this is similar to any sort of creative field where to some degree you're a performer and you're getting up every day and putting on some sort of outfit and going somewhere and sitting down with whatever your tools are and performing. And if you're performing, you're looking for that audience reaction. And I hope that this theme sort of takes on in all different creative fields is to return to your internal questions. It's been helpful to me to consider my sense of identity as malleable, as multiple, just to let myself have these conflicting sides of myself, lots of inner conflict. So my latest project is trying to laugh at this, which I'm quite uh, early on in. And I was trying to write a script for Palimpsest, and I realized that I kept on coming back to these themes of sexual assault in engineering. And I realized it was actually a terrible match for that project because what I'm trying to do is have femme, non-binary, female, people of color want to join the field. And if I put in my own worst experiences as an engineer, that's not very effective in getting people to want to join. And also it's very much so my experience and not necessarily anybody else's. So that was an example of really struggling with a set of game mechanics and a narrative that I wanted to try to jam together, but they just didn't. I kind of took from that experience that, you know, if you begin a project with people, it's good to end that project with those same people. And if you start something new, just start a new project. Projects themselves are kind of like babies and they should be in a a holistic womb of whatever community started to birth them and, and just let them take their course. So that narrative I took into a new project trying to laugh at this, which is very early on and it's been a real struggle. It's thrashing around. I got some amazing feedback recently from Anna Kipnis, a Uh, engineer and designer from Double Fine who worked on Psychonauts and that experience with her giving me this crit at this really embarrassing and almost humiliating point in my development cycle where I had sent out a bunch of prototypes and sort of everybody was responding like this is frightening I don't understand what you're saying it looks very raw it looks very unfinished it looks like you can't program (laughs) and I had in my sort of manic four in the morning playing of this prototype I 
was like, this is amazing. This is everything that I've ever wanted to say. Like I'm finally breaking through and I'm finally able to wield programming and design to be my power. And nobody replied to it the way I did. It was heartbreaking. And my advisor, Tyler Hurd, he does very um, bubbly, fun, uh, dumb joy is the emotion that he goes after with his work. He did beach body bros and uh, butts and old friend. And I worked with him on chorus. Anyway, he's my advisor. And Tyler was like, why am I your advisor for this, Atlee? I never try to make people feel uncomfortable. And I was like, Tyler, I am also trying to make people feel comfortable. And I'm trying to navigate that gap as a person and as a designer making material about things that are very sad and traumatizing to me. And he said, talk to Anna Kipnis. And she gave me a one and a half hour critique. And I have to say the experience was like having someone pave a roadway out of hell. I wanted to tweet that. And I mentioned that because I was overhearing the last conversation about Twitter and I felt like people just wouldn't be able to understand it. But that was what I wanted to announce, not pictures of my newborn baby (laughs) or my marriage or my new job, because none of those things exist for me. But I was truly found in that critique. Everybody says, play test your work, take notes, track patterns, but play test it with the right person at the right time. think that is pretty much all the time that we have today and so thanks for joining us thank you so much i really appreciate it um and where can people find you on the internet atl3y on twitter and again i just want to encourage our listeners to make space for your creativity make space first and creativity will come And we're back. Thank you to Atlee for that amazing interview. The music you heard is from the games Palimpsest and Davina. The soundtracks are by Ricky Lee Kroll. And thanks also to our panelists for the panel discussion, Laura Miche and Adriel Wallach. Great conversation from our friends, Laura and Adriel. And uh, coming back this episode, we have a couple of voicemails to review. Oh, cool. So people are still sending those in, huh? Apparently so. Remember to keep sending those uh, questions and voicemails to glitchcityradio at gmail.com. We actually have one voicemail right now to listen to. Uh, this one's sent in by Anonymous. Anonymous? Yeah. Make sure you put your names to these voicemails, people. Mystique is sexy, but not that sexy. How about we give that one a listen? Excuse me, I have a question. Are video games art? Any uh, hot takes on this one? I mean, short answer, no. Yeah, in summary, I've got a... (laughs) They aren't. We do have in the intro song there... Artists and indies, right, so it's very mutually separate. exclusive. Yes. Well, yeah, there's se- there's two separate categories. Yeah. So okay, there might definitive be some, answer there. Maybe some overlap. <laughs> <laughs> um, it also looks like we have another question from a repeat caller, Kevin. Oh, Kevin, I remember Kevin. Hey, Glitch City, this is Kevin. Thanks so much for answering my question on the previous episode. It was such a thrill to hear y'all answer my question that I told all my friends to rate and subscribe on iTunes so they could hear it. Now here's my question. When y'all make games, do you use PC 
or Mac hardware. I'm in the market for a new computer and I'm wondering which way to go. Uh, I run Linux exclusively. Wow, impressive. I'm just wow. kidding. I think whatever machine you can get your hands on is the one you should make games with. And whatever operating system you're most comfortable working with is the one you should be working in. Yeah, I mean, I, I fully agree with that. I work on, on Mac machines pretty exclusively. And I enjoy the fact that you can dual boot Windows and Mac OS well, really useful. Yeah, it's very useful. Yeah, I mean, just for me personally, you know, I have a Mac computer, I have PC computers, but I mean, more importantly, Kevin, let's get some better questions if you're going to keep calling in. <laughs> I mean, agreed. The quality of questions needs to raise, otherwise, we're going to have to start censoring. No. Okay. I, I feel for Kevin. I empathize with Kevin. So any uh, final notes here before we put the wraps on episode five, Jamie? Oh, yes. Another reminder that if you are a subscriber to our Patreon, you get early access to our episodes a week in advance. There's also exclusive behind the scenes content on our feed. The only way you'll get it is if you subscribe. And also make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. You know, that's one thing. Kevin, got to give him credit. He, he, he did uh, pick up on that note. So thank you, Kevin, there. And uh, we'll be back next month in March. So tune in then for another episode of Glitch City Radio. Boop, boop, a doop, a doop. Boop, boop.